0: If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the frontlines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. As you likely know, we've been focusing in on topics related to frontline families these past couple of weeks. We've talked about partnering, parenting, and today we're talking about family life while being a first responder or frontline worker. I'm excited to jump in today. And I want to preface today's episode by saying that this discussion is not just for those who are currently in the classic nuclear family. Today's topic has applications for everyone. We all want connection. It's what we're wired for at the core of who we are. And regardless of whether you have the spouse, 2.5 children, and white picket fence, or you're single, or you're single parenting, or you're in a relationship and not planning to have kids or a myriad of other domestic life setups, at the end of the day, your family, whoever you call family, means the world to you. And I know that so much of what you do is for them. And I know that it can be hard when we feel distant, disconnected, or even triggered and reactive when we're with the people that we sacrifice so much for. Before we tackle our topic for today, I wanna offer a couple of quick reminders. First, just a heads up that I'm planning to take a short hiatus from podcasting during July and August. I'll be using this time to listen to your feedback and suggestions and we'll be working on crafting new fall episodes. So be sure to let me know what you'd like to hear more about. While the podcast will be paused during July and August I will be sending out weekly email newsletters to those who have signed up for our mailing list either by subscribing on the podcast page or or by signing up to receive the free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide. If you haven't signed up yet and you'd like to hear from me as I continue to focus on frontline wellness and tools for building resilience, Google behind-the-line Lindsay and sign up now to make sure that you get all the great tools I'm putting together. I also want to remind you that the self-care dare five day challenge for first responders and frontline workers is now open for registration until end of day on June 28th. Participants will receive daily videos talking through five key domains for self-care, bonus worksheets and tools to help personalize a plan, access to a private Facebook group where we can connect, problem solve, and celebrate, and fun prizes along the way to keep you motivated to do the work. If you know that your self-care game could use some work and you've been putting off focusing on it, this is a great time to join with some awesome people to do the work together. I really hope you'll join us. Again, Google behind-the-line Lindsay to find the link to our registration page on our podcast website. All right, with those housekeeping items out of the way, I want you to take a deep breath and if you can, close your eyes. Now, if you're commuting and listening while you drive, obviously keep your eyes on the road. But for those who are in a sufficiently safe space, close your eyes and take a moment to reflect. I want you to think back to your family when you were a kid. What was the vibe? Was it supportive, dismissive, intense? Did you feel consistently cared for, seen, heard, known and valued? Or were these things harder to come by? What kind of roadmap did your family of origin offer you? One that you hoped to follow closely in your own adulthood or one you hoped to do the opposite of when you grew up? And how's that going? Implementing whatever roadmap in your own relationships, partnership and or family as an adult. What are the things you're really proud of having created with your family? And what are the pieces you wish looked different? If you can, pause whatever device you're listening on and take a few minutes to reflect on this before continuing. Let yourself sit with these questions, even if just for a few moments. Or circle back to this same piece again at a later time when you have some time and space to sit and do some reflecting and listen back on these questions to let them follow you through that process. Okay, come on back. Let me take a moment to say that I know it is quintessentially therapist-y to have you think about and reflect on your family of origin. I do realize that therapists are known through skewed media and pop culture as being ridiculously interested in how your parents raised you and that we have a bad rap for blaming all of your problems on your parents. Allow me to clarify that that is not what we're attempting to do here. So try to calm whatever reactions came up just now when I asked you to think back on your young years. What I want us to do is place ourselves within a context. Our context includes the framework we were raised in, how we felt about that framework, and the ways in which we carry that framework forward. Whether we like it or not, we're impacted by what we've been exposed to, good, bad, or otherwise. And failing to look at that is ignoring a significant piece in the puzzle of who we are and what we're trying to build for ourselves and our families now. Throughout this podcast, whether we've been talking about mindfulness, self-care, leadership, or whatever, you've heard me talk about the importance of awareness. We can't solve problems we're not identifying, and we can't solve them effectively without recognizing the variables that are working for us and against us. This is just as true when it comes to crafting the family life we long for as it is with anything else. We need to start by doing the hard work of slowing things down, pausing, reflecting, and taking stock of what influences us. Taking the time to look at our own history and to examine the values we have that emerged from our own experiences is super important to be able to be intentional about cultivating our family life in a way that feels meaningful rather than winging it and stumbling through hoping that it all comes out okay. When I think back on my early life and its influence on me, my values and ways this has impacted my choices in crafting my own family, there are a few standout pieces. For example, when I was nine years old, my dad started working away from home. He would work on a project that could be anywhere in the world. He would be gone typically for a week and home on weekends. Sometimes he would be gone for three weeks and home for a week, depending on how far away the project was. My dad was great. We always knew he loved us. He tried to be involved when he was home, but certainly having him gone shaped a lot of things. For one, it shaped me in a strong sense of being an independent woman, as I witnessed my mom essentially single parenting three girls the majority of the time. Car issue, mom's taking it into the shop. School project, mom's up late helping to get it done. Leak in the roof, mom. Bake sale, mom, lawn mowing, mom, carpool driving, mom. There are pros and cons to this exposure and various ways that this has shown up in my story over time. Pros are that I don't tend to see what I can't do. Con, I tend to take on way more than I should and default to believing there isn't help even when there is. Having my dad work away from home also shaped my expectations of married life For instance, my dad almost always deferred to my mom in making decisions because at the end of the day, he knew that she would end up being the one who had to live with it. Should we put the girls in dance and soccer? At the end of the day, mom was the one who had to figure out how to get three girls to different classes or practices. Should we get a cat? When it would come down to it, mom would be the one having to take care of it on top of everything else. Unfortunately, this wasn't a super helpful representation for married life, and I really didn't recognize the degree to which this shaped me until I was married and discovered my husband had opinions. How dare he? I know. It was really frustrating, annoying, and inconvenient that he felt he should have a say. I genuinely struggled with this because my roadmap was one where the husband rarely, if ever, voiced an opinion, and I unknowingly expected that I would be welcomed as the boss of all things. Turns out that wasn't how it went down. Interestingly, because my dad worked away from home, I was really intentional about choosing a spouse who was interested in being really stable and present. My husband is the full-time stay-at-home parent to our kids. He's involved to depths and degrees that my dad never was. And I wanted that for our family, knowing that I missed out on certain things as a result of having my dad gone so much of the time. Meanwhile, sharing life on a day-to-day level is not something I was given a roadmap for. And the growing pains associated with that adjustment were significant and still show up sometimes. This is just one small piece of my upbringing and experience that shaped my own choices, my values and continue to impact my family in a mixture of good and hard ways. Here's the thing. If I didn't stop to take stock of this piece and just stumbled through my life with my family relationships, it would have had some consequences. For instance, if I never recognized that my upbringing shaped unreasonable expectations of deferral from my partner, my husband and I would likely not still be together. I would have dug in hard to my unreasonable expectations, believing that they were totally fine and normal, and likely would have silenced him to the point of unhappiness, or demanded my own position to the point of undermining him in ways that would be personally and relationally catastrophic. Becoming aware of the influence of these pieces has allowed me to decide what I want to do with it. What parts of it I value, like being able to hold a strong sense of independence and capacity as a woman, as a wife, and as a mom, and what parts of it hinder me from crafting the life I want, like failing to seek support or feeling like I have to do it all on my own. When we know the story, we get to decide how we take it forward and continue telling it, how it lives out in our own lives on an ongoing basis. Now I could offer a million other examples, big and small, that have influenced me in my story and have had vicarious impact in shaping my family today, in good ways, in hard ways, and in yet to be determined kinds of ways. The ways in which our histories impact us are pretty well limitless. And it's why it's important to take time and space to reflect Because the deeper we dig, the more we realize that we're just scratching the surface. Also, the more we grow awareness, the more power we have in taking control over pieces that have likely long felt out of control. And the more intentional we get to be in creating something that feels aligned with who and how we wish to be, rather than feeling stuck replaying patterns we've been caught in for ages. My hunch is that there are a zillion of these kinds of experiences in your background as well. And my encouragement to you is to carve out some time to reflect, explore your influencing experiences, and consider ways you want to be more intentional in how you allow these to continue showing up in your life today. For those not in committed partnerships or with children yet, this exercise can be incredibly proactive and preventative. For those years into marriages and with families, there's no better time to start examining how your past trickles into your present, and modeling this process of reflection and intentional change for your family can be powerful. Whatever your intentions are around partnership or kids or whatever, this process has meaning in cultivating a deeper capacity to understand ourselves and connect with others. This is also an incredibly valuable piece that we can engage with our partner around. Understanding our partner's background and how this influences them can be incredibly informative, and holding that context can help us to react and respond to them more compassionately. I remember learning that my husband witnessed his mom leave when she and his dad were in conflict. She would leave the room or leave the house, sometimes for several hours. He remembers this as being really difficult for him. It felt confusing and a bit scary not knowing where she went and when she would come back. He decided to choose to do the opposite of that roadmap he was given because of the discomfort he felt in that. So his response when there's conflict is to stay really, really engaged, which is problematic when I, the very one to 60 and 2.1 seconds redhead need to cool off. I remember earlier in our relationship, this caused a lot of tension because I wanted to back away and cool down to be more rational, but he wouldn't give me that space. This would add to the conflict and tend to make things worse. Meanwhile, once I understood the context and how this piece shaped him, I could manage his need to stay close way more effectively and we could jointly work out strategies that worked for both of us. Rather than me just trying to back away from the conflict, we developed language around it where I could say something like, I need a few minutes to calm down and cool off. I wanna work this out and I'll come back as soon as I feel like I can have this conversation. Feeling reassured that I'm invested in working it out and that there was a plan to return helped ease his discomfort enough to give me the space I needed. Again, had we gone through our relationship unwittingly and without awareness of these contextual experiences that shape us, we would likely still be engaging in conflict in ways that escalate one another and destabilize our relationship. Taking time to hear each other's stories and examine the way these continue to have influence gave us power over the situation rather than feeling trapped in it. Others in our lives have stories too. And when we're in close relationship with people, our stories and damage will tend to rub up against their stories and damage in ways that can cause a lot of friction, leading to conflict, leading to damage to the integrity of the relationship. Whether it's with our relatives, our partner, our kids, our friends, or those we call into being chosen family, we risk these kinds of encounters all the time. When we haphazardly stumble through life, we experience these encounters in ways that tend to make us take them personally, leading to feeling reactive and defensive, compromising our sense of connection. We feel them and it feels hurtful. But when we take the time to contextualize our own baggage and the baggage of others, we can hold more compassion for everyone involved it tends to allow us to slow down interactions a bit, see things from more sides, and be more intentional and responsive as opposed to knee-jerk reactive. And this can transform family legacies. Let's talk about the idea of family legacy for a minute. I remember when we were trying to get pregnant with our first child, my husband suddenly became keenly aware of some of his family baggage that he had previously not really paid much attention to. He was worried about how his early learning and experiences might show up and play themselves out in our own family, and he wanted to be proactive, to be different than what he had experienced. He came across this website, The Art of Manliness, I'll forever remember the handlebar mustache logo, and an article on the site that I have since looked for a number of times and have never been able to find again. The article was about being a family legacy change maker. It talked about the idea that we can claim power over intergenerational passing down of trauma, hurt, shame, shaming, and so on, by becoming aware of the legacy we've been handed and making intentional choices about the legacy we choose to have. I love this idea of legacy. It's a concept I think feels deeply meaningful to every human I know. The idea that our lives have had meaning and have left an imprint for generations coming after us, whether that's within our own lineage or an impact we've made on the broader world that has a ripple out effect over time, we want this life to have meant something, to have made a difference. Heck, it's what leads many of us to enter helping professions in the first place. The desire to make a difference and to make the world a better place. We started this conversation looking back at the legacy we've been handed. I asked you to think of your family of origin, but your story is deeper and wider than that. Expand this to include your various life experiences, as well as those that have resulted in impact over time consider multi-generational influences and ways these have continued to shape you. As you take stock of these pieces, consider what you want your legacy to be. I often sit with this question in my own mind. What would I want people to say of me at my funeral? And then the follow-up question to this is how to live my life in ways that intentionally align to being demonstrable representations of this wish. How do I be the person I long to be remembered as? What does it look like to show up any given day of the week as the kind of person I would hope for people to remember when I'm gone? Tangibly, what does that kind of person do? How would they act? How would they interact? How do I cultivate the legacy I want to leave? Regardless of who you are, what your story's been, and where your story goes from here, you have an opportunity to be a legacy change maker. You have the opportunity to set and direct the course of your own ship, to shape how you are remembered and the impact you make on this world. But it starts with stopping stopping to reflect on your values the ones you've been handed and the ones you choose to carry forward anchoring to what it looks like to live into your values and then taking time to check in to see whether you're staying on course or veering off track every once in a while i want to wrap up this conversation by saying that for some this work can be done in the quiet space of your own mind For others, tools like a journal might be helpful to outline your thoughts. Conversations with trusted people in your life who support and share your values can be helpful too. And for some, seeking support from a counselor to walk you through this journey may be important to help keep you out of the weeds. Whatever this looks like, don't be afraid to start. We need brave souls like you to transform legacies. It's how we actually change the world and actually make it a better place by being aware intentional people and modeling this for others we're working to create a movement that encourages reflection awareness and work that rewrites our collective story we're in this together i have a hunch that there might be some questions or pieces that come up related to today's episode and if that's you, feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me at Lindsay A. Foss on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. You can always find my contact info in the show notes or by Googling behind the line Lindsay. For those wanting support in kickstarting some legacy change by developing self-care, please do sign up to join the Self-Care Dare 5-Day Challenge. The link to register is in the show notes as well as on our podcast webpage. Again, just Google behind the line Lindsay to find out how to register. Registration for the DARE will remain open until 11.59pm on June 28th and the challenge kicks off first thing on the 29th. I am so thankful to walk this journey with you and honored that you spend your valuable time here with me. I'm proud of those of you taking on the brave quest toward legacy change. Have compassion for yourself in this process and for others in your life who are doing the best they can with what they've been given to. You. Until next time, stay safe.